You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Running is such a good parallel for life. And one of the things I love the most about the sport of running is like, it's pretty black and white. Like the work you put in is what you get out of it. And you can see it, you know, from a young age, I tried a ton of sports. I was like not coordinated. I worked so hard at like volleyball and soccer and like these kinds of things and just like couldn't see the progress. But with running, it was like, if I work hard, I get faster. And if I work harder than these kids next that I'm competing against, I can beat them. And there's a limit on that, but I think there's also like, whether it's competing against other people or competing against ourselves, you can see like, you know, I used to run a 5K in this time and I started training and I worked harder and I can literally on the clock see the improvements, right? So kind of that that hard work, that discipline pays off and you get tangible results. And I think it's, that translates very well to every aspect of life. That was Dr. Emmy Aguilard. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with Dr. Emmy Aguilard. She is a full-time physical therapist managing her own private practice that specializes in treating and training runners. She also has advanced training in pelvic health and works with women to maintain their optimal fitness during pregnancy and safely return to running after giving birth. Dr. Aguilard earned her doctorate of physical therapy from Columbia University after graduating from Tulane University where she competed for the women's NCAA Division I track and field and cross country programs. She completed a fellowship in applied functional science through the Gray Institute and has taken numerous courses through the Postural Restoration Institute. Beyond her physical therapy practice, Emmy also coaches runners on Team Wilbers and the Dashing Whippets, a 900-member running team where she creates strength programs and team training plans for road races ranging from 5K to marathon. Emmy is also a contributing writer to women's health and cooking life. And she has an incredible new book that everyone needs to buy. It's called Run Healthy. It has quickly become a resource in our house. We dive into our conversation talking about the Boston Marathon, which Emmy had just finished for the third time. We sync up about how she got into running pursued a career in physical therapy and coaching, and where the idea for her new book began, Run Healthy. We do a deep dive into a few popular running injuries, shin splints and plantar fasciitis, and so much more. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to wherever you listen to your podcasts on Apple. Click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes, click on the five stars, 
and click on leave a review. Tell us what you love about this conversation. Also, you can now leave us five stars on Spotify and answer the question, which is a link under the podcast episode. Last up, share this episode or any conversation that you're listening to on your social channels and tag us and we'll tag you back. Now, on to my conversation with Dr. Emmy Aguilard. Emmy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to connect with you and I'm super psyched for your new book. So thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. This is quite an uh, honor to be here. How's your morning been? I ran Boston last week. Oh, you were in Boston. So okay, cool. I did. Um, so I'm taking like two weeks off from training. So no, uh, like getting up early and getting out there kind of being a little, a little bit on the lazy side, but how many miles did you build up to per week to train for that? My, I did not have a great training cycle for Boston. Um, kind of my, my original plan was just to like run it easy, but train, you know, like build up a base, but not really to race it, just to like run it and stay healthy and kind of put myself in a good position to really train for Berlin. Um, I'm signed up for Berlin in um, September. For some reason, my 20, I don't know how this worked, but somehow my like 2019 Boston got me like, like time qualified me for Berlin. It was outside the window that they said you can like use the time for, but I guess something with the COVID adjustments, it worked. But I was skiing in March and I twisted my knee. It wasn't even a running injury. It was um, like a skiing injury and sprained my MCL pretty good. So there was like a week where I was like barely walking. My like my PT friend was like, you should probably be on crutches, but the crutches, I don't know. I had like the crutches and I was home in New Orleans. I had the crutches in like the trunk of my car and I just didn't use them. The MCL, like as long as you're running in a straight line, it's pretty fine. You just can't really like, yeah. could not run on trails. I can't make like sudden swerves um, to like avoid a person. And still in that condition or it's better now, or you still have to just move forward and not sideways. It's not all the way better, but it's a lot better. So like I've been okay. this week, I've been swimming and like swimming feels fine. But if I do like a breaststroke kick, I'm like, Ooh, yeah. like it's like breaststroke like, kick is bad. Yeah. yeah. And I keep like forgetting. Cause sometimes if like the person in the, in the lane, like I'm at the JCC, which is not, it's a 25 meter, but like there's like five people in your lane. I swim some- at asphalt green. So I, you know, the only place in New York City where you can swim and have an actual managed pool experience is Chelsea Pure's fitness. And that's it. Everywhere else, it's like a free for all. And you just have to go in with that attitude. <laughs> yeah. My roommate is, uh, swims on like the master's team at Chelsea Pierce and he like is obsessed yeah. with it. It's not even convenient really to get to, but, um, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been swimming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Avoiding the breaststroke kick. I feel like it's the best thing anyone who runs can do for their body is swim, but it's also not easy when you live in New York City or Brooklyn, right? To get to a pool. 100% agree. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's a little bit, I feel like for runners, especially kind of anywhere, there's a little bit of a barrier of entry for the pool. It's just that one extra step of like, I have to like get my stuff together. I have to like either, you know, get in my car and drive or, you know, commute on the subway or something like there's not, it's not that convenient. And then you have to like change. You have to like, I'm going to jump into this cold thing. And then, but once you're going, it's, I love it. It's an investment in your running. That's how I feel. I don't know. I I don't love going either, but I make myself, I mean, I'm a triathlete, so I have to swim, but I mean, I, I definitely push myself to get to the pool 
I find it once I get into the groove, then I'm like on a regular schedule going, but it's always yeah. hard. It's always the hardest part of like training, but then I always feel so much better. So it's just that mental kind of hurdle, right? To get there. Yeah. I tell everyone like, you know, people love the Normus Hex. The, the pool, the buoyancy of the water is like compressive for yeah. your whole body. Like it's so good for recovery to just be kind of like supported by the water and then like the active movement that you get from it. And the fact that it's like 100, it's the only activity we can do that's 100% non-weight bearing. There's one research study that I read that said like the only other cross training where you may gain like the same, if not more like VO2 max benefits is swimming. Like yeah. Really? That's interesting. Cause I, I didn't know that. I would love if you have access to that study, if you could send it to me, what would you normally just to, for your, for Boston, like back to that question, like, mm -hmm. did you train up to like 50, 60 miles a week or was it like a lot lower volume? No, I think my highest, again, it kind of got interrupted by the MCL. Yeah. Um, I think my highest week was like 38 miles. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. it was, it was pretty broken. And the past year has been a little bit of like an injury cycle for me, which is ironic given my job and what I do for a living right. and, give, and writing the book. Um, so really was focusing on just being healthy for it. Um, I got up to, I did a 19 mile run before, um, before I twisted my knee. Um, and then I was planning my, um, friend and colleague who's also a coach. I don't know if, you know, Jason Lacritz, um, we worked together at finish line for forever. Okay. Um, he coaches with Matt, uh, team Wolpers as well. Um, I consulted him. You only, you did up to 19 miles and then you kind of like. Yep. Did 19 yeah. lost a few weeks. I think I got like, a, um, I want to say I did 10, yeah. then I did 15, then like the Thursday before, like, um, like a week, like not like the Thursday with the race on Monday, but the prior, the Thursday follow up before that yeah. I did 18 and it was hard. And I was like, Oh, I got through the 18. I ran in central park. I had a friend meet me for, um, a chunk of it. I had to take a couple of walk breaks and I was like, I think I'm going to be breaking this, this race after mile 16. I think it's yeah. going to go into, uh, two mile chunks. Um, but I never really had done a marathon, but I was honestly, I was like, I was going to ask how many marathons have you done? <laughs> that's my seventh. Okay. Um, I've done New York, Boston, New York, Boston, Boston, New York, Boston. And then I got injured COVID. I missed yeah. like, I would always requalify for Boston at Boston and I missed it because I couldn't do it. And so I did steamboat Springs in Colorado. Okay. Um, which is at like 8,000 feet elevation. And it was advertised as like a downhill race. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Um, it was, it was hard. The altitude, yeah. the altitude does affect you. But um, I requalified hard for too. Like running downhill is like very deceiving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love downhill. Like I'll always do the downhill. I do hit the coast every year. Um, and I'll oftentimes do the leg one, which is just like, you're launching yourself down the mountain. I did the first trials of miles, like bracket race. Yeah. And which before they put any, um, like elevation parameters on it, it also turned into like, let's drive around and find the like steepest downhill that we can. Um, the downhill was, was hard. I was not in my like peak prime downhill shape, um, which is, you definitely have to work towards it. Um, I'll fight for Boston there and then ran it again. Um, but yeah, I ended up running like, 
I think I ran like 345, which is that's good, significant. But, yeah. It's like, I would say that's like 30, like 30 minutes, the slowest marathon I've ever run. It was a very different experience, yeah. but I was really like, how often do I get a chance to just like, you know, like go slow, like enjoy being at Boston, just kind of like celebrate being here. I was at Boston just spectating and it felt, it felt really fun. Like just, it's definitely a hard race it, and it looks like it, you know, but so many people there are just so fast. It's incredible. You know, and it, and I yeah. think, I think you know, there's some people like in New York, it's a different vibe. Like in New York, there's people that are walking, there's people that are, you know, doing it just to finish. There's people that are racing, but in Boston, it felt like everyone was racing, like a good portion of the people. Yeah, yeah, I might have been one of the the few people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to fun run it, which fun running marathon, I would I would say uh, is is not the best strategy. It's really? a long way to it's a long way to go. I also had like a friend, I was like joking, I was like, um, have a beer for me. And my friend like had a beer for me. And yeah. it was this like incredible IPA that I don't know what I was thinking, but I like drank most of it. And then I like and I was like, oh yeah, I'm just having fun. This like keep me slow. Horrible idea. That well, was uh do you think like, you know, a lot of people who are not professional runners, elite runners, or really highly focused on running, right? They have another job, they have another career. Mm -hmm. Like that stress from those things really affect and impact your running. I mean, you're working in the industry. So do mm -hmm. you feel like having this like, you know, writing your book and doing all those things separate and apart from like your physical therapy and training, you said you had a year of injuries. Like, do you feel like... Did you take a minute to think about that also? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that it, you know, the, the stuff that like the injuries I went through, I had a high hamstring partial tear. Um, I think I had, it had been something that had been like manageable for a while um, to the point, like it was, I, I, I'm assuming it was kind of like, like a tendinosis sort of thing mm -hmm. that I was able to like kind of ignore, you know, there's a period where I was like really diligent about my strength training, but like hundred percent to your point, um, time, you know, like I can run, I can prioritize the running sometimes the other stuff, the maintenance stuff that's like so critical slips through the cracks a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the injury. I feel like everything, like if you don't look for the, you know, the reason behind it, the, the positive effects that can come out of it, you're going to yeah. drive yourself crazy. Totally. And I do think these injuries like really forced me to like listen to the advice that I was giving to my yeah. patients, to my athletes. The cobbler like, never had day. issues. <laughs> yep. And I really kind of refocused and I started to really get to the gym, lift weights, lift weights yeah. regularly, prioritize cross training. Um, and that has made a huge difference. I feel like I've learned a little bit more yeah. um, about designing like a good like strength program, um, just feeling healthier and better and able to kind of build the mileage back if I incorporate strength training on the regular. I think part of it's just getting older. Like when you're yeah. in your twenties, you can cut corners. You know, that's just, that's. That stuff the, is real. Like I did not believe it at all. I thought it was bull and getting older. It's like you have yeah. no control over what's happening in your body. It's crazy. <laughs> you don't, but then you do, right? Like when you're older, like your body does not absorb fluid as well. That's like, they say aging. This one book I read is like the slow dehydration of our tissue. Um, your muscles don't retain muscle mass quite as easily, right? So you can either just sit there and like passively let that happen or you're like, okay, 
I'm going to really focus on hydration, right? I'm going to get to the gym. I have to like, if I lift weights, like, yeah, then I can train at the same level I did when I was 20. You know, if I don't, then I can't, it's just like, it's like, you have to, you have um, to and I saw that exponentially harder. That's my especially experience in the last yeah. like, 10 years. Yeah. And like, unfortunately, like it's even more important for women than yeah. it is for men. Like women's bodies just like don't retain muscle mass because of hormones and testosterone and that sort of thing. Like our bodies lose that a little quicker. Men, I feel like can men too, like after age 35, there's a pretty significant decrease in like, yeah. um, your muscle, like hypertrophy, your muscle volume, mm-hmm. but like it's, it's harder for women than for men. All right. Hope you're enjoying this conversation. Just dropping in here to give a shout out to our sponsors at Delta G. Delta G is the creator of the revolutionary Delta G ketone ester, an exogenous ketone being used by world champion, Ironman, Tour de France, Formula One, Olympians, recreational athletes, and longevity seeking wellness savvy individuals looking to optimize their athletic performance and everyday health. I have been adding Delta G exogenous ketones to my morning coffee, using it to recover after hard workouts and in training for the past several months. I am a huge fan. Beyond boosting energy levels and performance, ketones improve mental clarity, boost metabolic flexibility, and increase insulin sensitivity. Ketones are the brain's preferred fuel source, even when glucose is present. Ketones are nature's super fuel. When the body is pushed to its limits, we convert stored body fat into ketones for energy that help fuel the brain and body. Delta G delivers that exact ketone produced naturally in the body called DBHB. With Delta G, you can achieve high levels of circulating blood ketones, also known as ketosis, safely and immediately. Delta G was created through a collaboration between the University of Oxford and NIH with funding from the Department of Defense in 2003 as a way to provide efficient fuel for warfighters. Just two years ago, Delta G became available to the public. Throughout the years, researchers have been able to utilize this technology in various studies, amounting to over 55 published Delta G studies with around 25 ongoing. It's time to take your health and athletic performance to the next level. Head over to deltagketones.com and use our code MARNIE20 to get started. So how did you get into physical therapy? Because I know that you are have been athletic your whole life. Yeah, that's a great question. So I went to undergrad at Tulane. Um, I'm originally from Louisiana. Um, got a great scholarship to run track there. I was super excited. Um, I majored in public health, um, and which I loved. It was such a great undergrad major. It kind of was looking at just like health as a whole and kind of more of like the population level, how policy and things like that can affect people's, you know, well-being. Yeah. But I was also, again, like injured in the training room, working with the trainers, oftentimes before practice. And I knew, I always, always, always knew I wanted something like in the healthcare field. I just wasn't quite sure what. I was like, you know, I could go to medical school and be a doctor, but like that seems like a lot of school for a really long time. Like, and everyone I talked to is like, to go to medical school, you have to like really, really, really want to be a doctor. And I was like, I don't know if I like really, really, really want to be a doctor. Right. I hated chemistry. Like it just seemed a little, not that I, I didn't think I could do it as more of like, do I want to do that bad enough? And then again, undergrad in public health, I was kind of on the fence between getting my like master's degree in public health. Um, I was interested in like the disaster management field. I think just like hurricanes and things like that growing right. up in South Louisiana. And my dad worked in that area. Um, 
And same thing, like that was almost like public health is amazing, but it was almost like a little too open-ended. Like it was like, you could do this or you could do this or you could do this. And a lot of it is like, I've also always been someone who like, I've never been diagnosed, but like, I, I think if I was, I would have ADD for sure. I've never been good at like sitting and sitting in front of a computer. I had one summer internship that was like totally computer-based. And I was like, I cannot do this. Like, I can't, like, I just like being like, anything that's kind of stationary. So I was trying to find something that was like active and moving and kind of incorporating different things that I love. And I was the trainers in college. I was kind of like interested. I was like, this is cool. You know, you're working with athletes, you're up and around and on your feet and stuff like that, really like caring for people, but their hours were, were tough. Like, you know, you're there at 5am with the athletes, your weekends are not yours. You're traveling with the team. Like it just didn't seem totally sustainable, which is kind of like what, made me start to think physical therapy. Um, and I, it's, and the thing is too, like, I liked the structure of it. So with public health, it was like very open-ended of like, you could do this or this or this or this. And that all seems so cool, but I was having trouble like narrowing it down versus physical therapy was like, all right, I go to, I go to PT school. It's a three-year program. I get my doctorate. So I'll be Dr. Emmy, which sounds great. The job, like I'll get a job. I know I'll have a job. Um, and then within physical therapy, you can also pivot. Like you can do, you can work with stroke rehab. You can work with cardiovascular. You can work with outpatient orthopedics. You can specialize in kids and do pediatrics right there. It wasn't, it was structured, but yet it still like, wasn't limiting. I wasn't like, I want to work with runners. You know, it was, that was always in the back of my head because running had been such a big part of my life from like a young age. I started in sixth grade, you know, I, I credit being where I am right now to running. So I ended up in New York. I went to Columbia for physical therapy school. So I moved up here. So you studied with Colleen? Yeah, you I just did. Emailed Dr. this morning. Oh, no way. Yeah. She's she's awesome. Dr. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah. Dr. Bruff. Yeah, I did my first year out of school. I uh, TA'd with their run lab. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was. She helped me set up a couple of my clinicals. She's awesome person. Um I just ended up like I, I had volunteered. I had finished line was kind of like the big name and like the running rehab yeah. world. And I volunteered there a little bit while I was at Columbia. And I wasn't even sure that I wanted to stay in New York, but I was like, if I, I'm going to, you know, apply to finish line, that'll be step one. If I happen to get a job there, then, you know, that's, that kind of will, um, that'll be like, I guess, again, like a reason. Yeah. Um, and it, it all just like fell into place like so easily. I loved it there. Michael, the founder was a great boss. The co-workers uh, my, my coworkers were, you know, all my age, all love to run. It was um, just like kind of work was fun. The social life, you know, doing running events, going to like take the bridge. Like it was all yeah. stuff that I'd be doing with my free time anyway. And it, it was just like such a natural fit. And then like, it almost like work didn't feel like work. Yeah. You know, like I was working with people who were similar to me, who had similar goals to me, who I could really empathize with of like, oh, you want to run, you need to run. I get that. Oh, you want to race. Like, it's like the stuff I would be talking about in my free time. Anyway. I think it's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you really have like found the ideal way to do everything that you love. It's running, it's physical therapy, it's helping people, it's health. It's now you have this amazing book, Run Healthy. So talk to me a little bit about your book and how you came up with the idea to do that. A little bit about what it is about. Totally. So I definitely can't take credit for uh, the idea. Jonathan Kane, who's another coach uh, in New York City, had written a couple books for this publishing company before on triathlon anatomy. 
Um, and they were like, Hey, we really want like a running book. Like, can you write us like a running injury prevention book? And he was like, you know, I'm an exercise physiologist. I have a background in, or I'm a, I'm a coach. I have a, I have a background in exercise physiology, but we really need a physical therapist on board to write this book. So he reached out to me to co-author the book with him. And, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, that sounds like, that's like definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to publish a book. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Right. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. It was a lot of work, a lot of time. I will say writing a book is not for the faint of heart. I yeah. learned so much throughout the process. I have to give a ton of credit to my mom who helped me edit a lot of the chapters. But I will say it was just, it was a really cool experience to like take all the stuff that's like swimming around in my brain at all times that I feel like I'm sometimes like a broken record repeating like over and over and over to patients and like put it all, put pen to paper, you know, have it organized, have it all there where like I do now, like honestly, I'll have clients or athletes or patients say like, Hey, my knee is bothering me. And I'll be like, well, you know, I could walk you through exactly what to do, but I would tell you what I'm going to tell you is exactly what's written in the book. And there's pictures to demonstrate it. It's probably written clearer in a way that you can remember it. The book is an amazing, so I read the book. I scrolled through a lot of the chapters and I feel like it is the 2023 guide that every runner and athlete should have because it's a resource. It's like, you don't have to read it like a novel. Like you can use it as, you know, I have shin splints or I have plantar fasciitis or, you know, why do I need to get a myofascial massage? Or, you know, what does that even mean? And it's great for all runners, whether you're starting out or you're super advanced athlete. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because that really was the goal, right? And I think maybe why Jonathan came to me to help write the book yeah. is we want to make it something that everyone can understand. You know, you shouldn't have to be a doctor or a coach with a high level of training or a physical therapist to read it. Like, how can I put all this knowledge that I have in a way that the everyday runner can understand? Um, And that's something we, again, that wasn't, if you would have read the first editions of the book, that might not have been the case, but we had such a great team. I don't know if you know, Alison Goldstein, she's, she's a runner. She's qualified for the Olympic trials. She runs with distance projects. Um, she's a writer. She writes for runners well part-time. She helped us kind of organize and edit and be like, hey, I don't understand what this means. You need to clarify this for us. So we That's had a great. lot of a lot yeah. of brains coming together to, I think, get a product, um, a book that most people to exactly what you said can open it up, can flip to the chapter that they need and like read it and be like, oh, this makes sense. I understand it. I can take away. And like, that was the other goal, right? It's like, okay, it's one thing to like understand why shin splints are happening, but the other thing, like the piece that I feel like is so important for people to have is like, what can I do? Like yeah. what actionable items can I do to help to manage this biggest, you know, thing of all is prevention to prevent this from becoming a major issue to prevent this from turning into a stress fracture. Yeah. So like, since we're talking about shin splints, <laughs> what are shin splints? That's a great question. So, so the technical definition of shin splints is like medial tibial stress syndrome. It is, I think, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's the like number one running injury, like the most common running injury. It's very, very common in like new runners. If you're Mm -hmm. new to running, if you're just getting started, that's like the first thing that people are dealing with, right? Which is probably why it's such like a buzzword in the running injury prevention community. Um, 
And what it is, is it's kind of like tiny micro trauma to the like muscles that are attaching to the shin and like in the bone. And that, I think that's like something the book gets into a little bit, but I'll try to explain that. So like every time you run, you get little micro tears in your muscles, you get little micro fractures in your bones, right? That's part of the process. And I tell everyone, like, it's not when you're running that you get stronger and faster and better. It's the time in between when you're recovering that your body comes through and heals all the little damage and hypertrophies and lays down more bone and kind of gets ready to handle like increased load. So that's like number one reason why like respect the recovery process. Um, so that, that is what's happening with shin splints. Um, there's a number of different reasons that can cause them. It can be overstriding. It can be tightness in your calf um, that causes more pull and kind of pressure to the front of the shin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, again, is it ramping up mileage a little too quickly if you're a new runner? Is it just the increased pounding on hard surface if you live in New York City and only have concrete to run on? Um, is it faulty mechanics? All those can contribute. All right. Hope you're enjoying this conversation. Just dropping in here to give a shout out to our sponsors at Cured Nutrition. Cured Nutrition is Colorado's premium provider of cannabinoid, functional mushroom, and adaptogen products. We all know that a complete night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our wellness and general well-being. Cured's Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to guaranteeing you get that full night of sleep every night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and full-spectrum cannabinoids. The CBN extract is a lesser-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant. These supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, REM sleep and non-REM deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole body effect. When it starts to kick in, you'll notice every inch of your body starts to soften into a deeper state of relaxation as if you're laying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM deep sleep into REM and back again. Some people can't fall asleep. Others can't stay asleep. And then there are those that fall asleep and stay asleep, but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. No matter what it is keeping you from true rest and restoration, this sleep bundle is your solution. Personally, I have problems falling asleep. And when I started using Cured a few months ago, the products have really helped me wind down and ease into the sleep zone. I also love their pet CBD treats. Another thing keeping me awake, the dogs. Right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners. You can grab Zen and CBN in the sleep bundle for an extra 20% off of Cured's already discounted pricing by visiting curednutrition.com slash Marnie and using the coupon code Marnie at checkout. Again, that's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash Marnie, M-A-R-N-I, and coupon code Marnie at checkout to save an extra 20% off. Improve your sleep, improve your life. What if you think you have strength splints? Like, what should you do? What would you recommend as a physical therapist? That's a great question. So I think the first thing, the most basic, the easiest, simplest thing is just to back off your training a little bit, right? So is that depending on how much you're running, is that reducing your overall mileage, 
getting this off surface, trying to run on grass or taking, you know, two days to maybe two weeks off to try to kind of nip it in the bud. The risk of running through shin splints, and this is, I think, one of the questions you had for me, yeah. but um, running in general is like running through them to the point where you develop a stress fracture, right? And once you have a stress fracture, once you actually have like fluid in the bone that can't be recovered in kind of that 48 hour recovery window, that is like a shutdown. You cannot That's run through it. Over. The risk that is game over. Um, and that's the risk you run with shins. Six to eight weeks of no running, no impact. But if it's shin, if it's a pelvic stress fracture, that's a little longer, probably more like 12 weeks, but there's no cut, there's no cutting corners. Bone is just the slowest part of your body to heal. And then a slow rebuild back. So it's not like you can't take those two months off and then hop back right in where you were, right? right. Then you're looking at, okay, I ran for five minutes today okay, I ran for 10 minutes today, right? It's a really, it's a really slow rebuilding process. In some ways, bony injuries, I will say, like having been through a bunch and treated a lot, like they're not, they are simple, right? Like if you have hamstring tendinosis, you don't have to shut down your running, but you have to do a bajillion things to manage it, to be able to run through it. A bone is like, I rest, it healed, I can start to build back in. Versus some of these more like chronic injuries that are like, you can run through, you can manage, but they're, they're much more gray. They're very finicky. They can, you have days that are good. You have days that are bad. Those kind of feel like two steps forward, one step back. You know, my foot can handle if it's plantar fasciitis, I can handle like, this is my threshold. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't sleep well last night. So today my threshold's a little lower, you know, and then you're in your head, like swimming in circles. Um, do you think it has to do with maybe shoes too? Like maybe you need to do like a gait analysis and look at how you're running and maybe switch out your shoes if you're continue if you get shin splints? You know, I would say that it's more form. Okay. I would say it's not sometimes I feel like we get overly focused on shoes because it's a very easy thing to control. Mm-hmm when it's more of like, let's look at your form. What's my cadence? Am I overstriding? Do I need to really work on like shorter, quicker steps? That being said, if you are like, you know, very over pronating, um, meaning your, um, your foot is like collapsing in every time you stand kind of uncontrollably, then wearing a shoe with like a little bit more, and that can overwork the posterior tib, which attaches to the inside of your shin. Um, then that muscle that is attaching to the inside of the shin bone is working really, really hard that can contribute to shin splints. So in in that sense, yes, a shoe with a little more medial support could, could help. How can people DIY check their form? I would say a really simple way to do it is just to like, if you have a pair of shoes that you've been running in for a while, if you want to like look at the bottom and you look at the wear pattern on the shoes and it Mm -hmm. should be pretty even. If you're noticing that like the inside of the shoe is a lot more worn out than the outside of the shoe or vice versa, if the outside of the shoe is a lot more worn out than the inside of the shoe or the heel is like scuffed to the bottom, but the front's not, those could all be be signs that maybe there's something and you're dealing with some type of injury that could be a sign that, okay, something with my stride could probably be improved. And do you think it would be like, it's a good idea for people to maybe take their cell phone and put it like out if you're running on the street and do some videos or if you're on a treadmill to look at it. Cause then you yeah. can also see. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, it's, that's a great kind of the outside versus treadmill is a great point that you bring up because it's a lot easier to get a gait assessment on a treadmill. Um, you can kind of film from behind, you can film from the side, you're in one place. So you can yeah. get kind of a, a better read. But the caveat to that is oftentimes our form is a little bit different on a treadmill than it is when we're running outside. 
My form on the treadmill is fear-based. I am such a klutz that my form on the treadmill is very different than my form outside. And I actually, like, literally am afraid to run really fast. And I have a great treadmill. I'm not going to – I just I just have, like, this inner fear of going over eight miles an hour on the treadmill that, like, I just can't. It's, like, I just feel, like, out of control and, like, I'm going to fall off. Totally, right? So – Exactly what you were saying, right? If uh, oftentimes on the treadmill, we're running a little more like defensively, yeah. meaning we're like one, you know, one of the big things that I see, like mistakes I see people make when running is they're like too upright to the point where yeah. they're almost like backward, yeah. yeah, you know? And so something we cue a lot is to kind of lean forward, keep those steps and ribs stacked. You know, you want to yeah. use gravity to your advantage to kind of pull you forward. And on a treadmill, we, we kind of are here because we're yeah. like, again, this is our body's like response to stress is to kind of poop out, but right. also or the shoulders up to your ears. Towards. Yeah. But the treadmill is also like, it's moving towards you. So like to lean forward on this, like, you know, vault that's like yeah. moving rapidly towards you, it's incredibly counterintuitive. Um, so a lot of times on the treadmill, I'll see compensations that are like, you know, the big no-nos, like you know, leaning backward, heel striking, overstriding. Yeah. And the runner might not be doing that outside, or at least not to that extent outside. So it's good to kind of um, like get a sense of both. But then are you, does your life, you know, circumstances require you to run on the treadmill? Like if that's the case, then, you know, working on your form on the treadmill is yeah. worthwhile. But I also don't go, I really don't go that fast on the treadmill and I should, you know, I'm not pushing myself, but I will push myself outside. I just, I really do get, I know nothing's going to happen, but I am a klutz, so. Totally. One thing that helps, I'm not sure, I'm sure someone's told you this before, but if you put it on like a one person incline and have it just a little bit up, that can help to normalize. Yeah, that's interesting. Put it on, put it on a slight incline and that can help to normalize your form a little bit. And with that incline, you have less of that feeling of like, I'm going to fall off. Yeah. Okay. And then it's, it's a little bit easier to kind of get into natural, your natural rhythm and also push yourself a little bit harder. And um, let's talk about my other favorite issue with running, which is plantar fasciitis, because I have had that. And I just, I feel like I'm summoning Voldemort right now because (laughs) I don't want to get any of these injuries. I'm just going to like knock on wood. But yeah, I honestly like plantar fasciitis. I have had this on and off for years. I don't have it right now knocking on all the I know. way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the planner fasciitis. But, fascia you know, I'm always, work. you know, it's, um, what is it? And how do you manage it? And how do you avoid it? And all of those things. You know, planner fasciitis, me, same. That was my first kind of major injury. I had it like very chronically through college. I just like, I felt like I was like a coper. Um, and even my like first, my first years of PT, I was like, if someone would come in, with plantar fasciitis, I'd be like, okay, you know what? We can, we can cope with this. We can deal with it. Um, just cause I had so much more to learn about like working with runners and like plantar fasciitis specifically. It's different. Like what you learn about in physical therapy school, of, like plantar fasciitis as it's kind of almost like an old person, maybe they're a little bit heavier, can't really support themselves, have like a really flat collapsed foot type of injury. And runners, it is completely different. It's like an overuse. Oftentimes these people have a very like high rigid arch um, that can't collapse properly, that can't fully accept load. Sometimes you have a flatter foot that can cause it too, and it is overworking. But I would say, and this is, you know, part of the, the issue with plantar fasciitis is it is a very finicky injury. Like this is one of those ones that like, if I do too much, 
it won't heal. If I do too little, it won't heal. It's like a Goldilocks injury. If like, I need to do like just the right amount of loading, that's going to stress it enough to help it heal. But if I do too much, I'm going to set myself back. If I completely rest it, the pain might go away. But as soon as I start running again, it's going to come right back. It's a, it's a tough one, but I will say that like you can, you can overcome it. You can heal from it. It does not have to be something that you cope with or deal with for your entire life. It's just, it is, I think it does require a lot of discipline, a lot of patience yeah. to probably working with a physical therapist in person, to be honest, because yeah. of the Goldilocks nature of it. I feel like left to our own accords, like managing it and kind of judging it on, on our own can just be very, very tricky. All right. Hope you're enjoying this conversation. Just dropping in here to give a shout out to our sponsors at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is my go-to for staying on the inside track of my health and wellness. Created by experts from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT, Inside Tracker uses the power of your body's key biomarkers, fitness data, and DNA to reveal what you need to live healthier longer. You'll receive specific nutrition, exercise, supplement, and lifestyle recommendations, providing insight that goes well beyond what you can get from generic blood work. I started using Inside Tracker in 2019, and it has been a real game changer for my health and athletic performance. Since May is Women's Health Month, Inside Tracker is unveiling an upgraded ultimate plan that includes three new hormone biomarkers that are critical to measure during a woman's reproductive and menopausal years. The new ultimate plan includes estradiol, progesterone, and TSH. And because it's Women's Health Month, Inside Tracker is not charging for these three hormone markers in May. For a limited time, Marnie on the Move listeners can get 20% off Inside Tracker's new ultimate plan. With Inside Tracker, discovering what your body needs is no longer a guessing game. Visit insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the Move. That's insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the Move. Now, back to our conversation. At what point do you feel like people should do like PRP? Have you done that and do you think it's helpful? And I know that's not something that you do personally, but yeah. Right. But kind of when to recommend it. I actually ended up getting a PRP injection for my hamstring. Uh, my, my theory on the PRP is I actually think more of the benefit comes from the like actual needling of like the doctor just really gets in there and kind of jabs yeah, at your injured. Yeah. <laughs> really kind of jabs at the injured area with a needle. So if you have an injury that's kind of like plateaued in the healing process, then that kind of re-injury re-aggravation can yeah. stimulate the body to restart the healing process. Um, so if you like plantar fasciitis, if you're dealing with a ton of scar tissue in the foot, right? Some things that kind of need to be like physically like broken up in there, then that can be helpful. And then the platelet rich plasma is sort of like insurance. Like let's throw a ton of nutrients in there on top. You know, it's definitely not going to hurt. We think it might help a little bit. Um, and then you also, because, you know, oftentimes when people like you or me, we're probably not the best at like really taking the time off that we need to. And with the PRP, it's like, you have to have to take I have to take a month off. I spent a thousand dollars. It hurts to weight bear. So it also kind of like forces the rest that we might have not truly been doing. And it's like a great kind of reset. All right. I'm going to do my PT exercises very diligently. I'm going to ease back in slowly. So I think that's why the research on PRP is so spotty is because, you know, how good was the doctor at hitting the right spot? You know, how aggressively did they needle it? Like there's, it's not like, 
it's not just like a simple injection that either does or doesn't work. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard mixed things. I think every, and also mm-hmm. like everyone is so different. Your body responds to things differently. So, and you don't just specialize in all of these like overuse injuries for runners or working with runners and triathletes and athletes. You also specialize in, in pelvic floor PT. So talk to me a little bit about this. Cause it's, and it's not just for people who are running and doing triathlon after giving birth or having kids and trying to get back into the sport, but it's for everyone. Anyone who has had kids, pelvic floor therapy is really important. Totally. I do think a huge part of the patient population who seeks out and needs pelvic floor physical therapy is the postpartum population. And, you know, once postpartum, always postpartum, whether you're three months postpartum or 30 years postpartum, you can still benefit from pelvic floor PT. Um, I love, you know, I absolutely love working with that population group just because it is so impactful, I think, on such a big level of like people who are, you know, I can't leave my house because I'm worried I'm going to pee my pants if I leave my house, right? right? Um, And then you also have the moms who are, you know, trying to get back into running and training postpartum um, and dealing with pelvic pain, pelvic pressure, um, incontinence, things like that, that really are, you know, hard to push through. I think there's a lack of knowledge in that area. There's sort of this idea of like, oh, like I had a baby, I'm going to pee my pants and I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to put a pad in, I'm going to go run. When like in reality, that's, you know, the the kind of the, what they always say in the public floor world is like, it's common, not normal. So like, yeah, it's common, but this is not something that you have to To live with for the rest of your life. So people can start Um, at any age, like even if they had a kid, like child, sorry, even if they had children like 30 years ago. Absolutely. That's really Um, encouraging. People think that because they didn't deal with it right on after having children that they can't do it anymore. No. And I think that that's really important too, is like, it's, it's really never too late to get started. And a lot of it is again, like it's, it's pressure control. It's like, how well are my lower abs working? If my lower abs were never, you know, brought back online postpartum because I had a C-section and I haven't been able to support my lower core, then my pelvic floor is going to be doing double duty, trying to support my pelvic organs and also be my core control. And so it's likely hypertonic, meaning it's too, too tense, too strong. And it has kind of no shock absorption. It's tight, it's overworked. And so I'm going to leak when I, anytime I try to accelerate my running speed, but if we work on posture and alignment and getting lower abs back on, then that can kind of up and down the chain. It's not only pelvic floor, it's really kind of the whole body. Yeah. And can see like amazing improvements. And I think the other thing too, I just want to add this really quick is that, you know, pelvic floor PT is not only for women postpartum. Um, okay. Men need pelvic floor PT too. I've, I've had a couple of male clients, um, a lot of cyclists, it's a lot of kind of pressure on there. Um, but men in general who are dealing with some pelvic pain and pressure, you can it can be for women who have not had a child. I've dealt with some, like, let me cut that part out. Um, yeah. But pelvic floor PT can be for women who have not had a kid. You can still have um, issues down there, you know, bowel issues, bladder issues, even some like gut and intestinal issues. Um, the hypertonic pelvic floor pain with sex is a big part of it. You know, it affects people's relationships. It can even affect yeah. your ability to like have a child. Um, you know, it's, it literally is like the life, situation of like, if you're super tight and guarded or dealing with endometriosis and that's the way your body's reacting to it is by really like tensing the pelvic floor, uh, muscles, then yeah. physical therapy can, can help. I think that's really interesting. There's been like a big, I, I don't know, in my world, I've heard a lot of talk about it. So I think it's really cool that that's mm-hmm. kind of part of your focus. How can people work with you? That's a great question. So yeah, I am on my own now. 
I split time between, I treat on the Upper West Side um, on 72nd Street, and then I do one day a week in Brooklyn and Gowanus. So you're also a run coach. Wait, you're on yeah. Team Wilpers, and are you also still doing the Dashing Whippets? I do. I've been, you know, I've been less involved with the Whippets as of late. Um, just I've been traveling and kind of out the city a little bit more. I've been less consistent, Um, but I was with them. That's actually kind of where I started was with the Dashing Whippets, helping to make the team's training plans, uh, which was really cool to kind of learn how to design a program that we can apply to, you know, 500 people, 800 people. The the club has gotten so much bigger than when I joined. Um, And then on the flip side, I have my own clients who I, who I make the training plans for. So I do some work with Matt with Team Wilpers. Um, I also have some that I uh, do on my own, like a tiny little LLC, uh, Emmy Aguilar Physical Therapy and Coaching, um, which is, I need to come up with a better name. But um, yeah, so I have clients that I work with who kind of just one-on-one to design them like a customized, individualized training plan, which I think, I think as a physical therapist and kind of a control freak, I think is so important to have a plan that's, you know, designed for you, um, customized to you. That's kind of taking into account, like to your point, like you can't fit, you can't build most of us. We cannot, we're not professional athletes, right? We cannot build our life around the running. We have to figure out how can the training fit into my life, which means, you know, if I'm a mom with little kids and the kids are sick, I need to make adjustments. Like I can't, you can't sacrifice sleep for your training. Like you will get injured. Um, so I do like weekly updates, weekly, weekly check-ins. I don't like to just give someone, I don't have any, just like, here's a plan, go follow it. Like yeah. I can't do that. I think cause I'm a physical therapist and I'm like, no, you're going to get hurt. You're going to go follow this plan to the T. Most of us in. runners are very yeah. type A when in reality, things are going to come up. You might have a niggle here. I tell everyone like, tell me right away when you start to feel a niggle, because, you know, if we can often move a workout, push a workout back a day, give you a little bit more recovery time, oftentimes like two days off can save you two weeks off. Um, so being able to check in, I I'm like constantly chatting, chatting with my athletes just to make sure that things are going smoothly, that we're preventing injuries. You know, I do too, do a lot of virtual, I have athletes all over the world. I had someone I was working with in Australia. I have people in London. I had someone in Switzerland. So I do do a lot of like virtual sessions to like virtual physical therapy, um, yeah. which is great for like, I was back in New Orleans for the winter. So I was able to kind of keep up with everyone remotely, which is awesome. That's like one of the coolest things yeah. from COVID is like, who would have thought that I would do virtual physical therapy. And I've had people who are like, this is more effective than I was getting from my for my PT in person, just because I have so much like specialization yeah. in the runners. Um, so I do a lot of that too, of like, you know, coaching the athletes and then when they need or have something going on, um, we'll, we'll do like an in-person PT session to kind of address what might be. So I guess like doing those run videos, like if somebody wants to work with you, could be cool because you could kind of get a sense if you can't see them in person. I love all the virtual stuff that came out of the pandemic. Cause yeah. I think, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to interview as many awesome people from around the world. And, and even like, it's so, totally. it saves so much time. And if you're a founder a business, like entrepreneur, coach, like all the things you do, if you wear multiple time is your currency. So yes. you could save like getting yes. around New York has become, it's like, you can't get anywhere in under 30 minutes. Like, unless you like run there. I love the mix. You know, yeah. I love, treating clients in person, patients in person. I, I love that one-on-one. I love getting my hands on people. I, I like the soft tissue work and the body work that I yeah. can do in person, but I also love the autonomy that it gives the 
patient when we're meeting virtually of like, yeah. you know, sometimes it's coming to me in person. It's like, oh, Emmy, like you're going to fix me. You're going to heal me. Virtually, it's very much like I, you are going to fix you and I'm going to show you how to fix you. Yeah. Um, Which you need both. So the, yeah. Mm-hmm, you do. You know, sometimes you really might have a gunked up adductor that's stuck to a hamstring and you need an elbow to get in there and kind of like break it up and get that kind of release. You know, other times it's very postural and we need to look at your work environment that you can do on the computer and see how you're sitting. And, you know, like it can be, or like use your hands, like here's how you can, you can dig in there. You can mobilize your foot yourself, like with feet and ankle stuff like that. You can definitely do a lot on your own. Like you can get your hands, you can kind of like manipulate things. Yeah. I also, um, you know, back to your point of like the gait assessment, like I've had uh, patients like take their phone or laptop and like go out on, if they're not in New York city, like go out on their front porch, like position it on their front porch. I have them go into the street, like check for cars and then run by, you know, and we'll do the gait assessment that way. So it's kind of fun how, how creative you can get. And I've gotten great results virtually. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. And what are some, now, what are you doing these days to train? So you're running. Is that your focus right now? Are you doing, I know you're a swimmer, a triathlete, like you've done all the things. So where are you in the mix? I keep um, thinking I like need to sign up for a triathlon. I definitely have like a long-term kind of bucket list goal of doing an Ironman at some point. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I've also just found like, again, like as I've gotten older, like incorporating more biking and swimming into my regimen just like feels good. You know, I just like, I feel like kind of the multi-sport approach is, like long-term good for our bodies. We're mixing it up a little bit. I think we forget like as runners who are used to running every day, just how much pounding and force we're putting on our bodies when we run. And you can still get great results with a little bit more of that like mixed approach. At the same time, the caveat to that is like, I love to run. Like if I could run every single day and only run that, that's my happy place. I feel like I'm flying. I feel really free. I just, it's so meditative. Yeah. I love going for a run by myself and leaving, you know, my phone, everything um, at home and just completely disconnecting. I also love, you know, grinding away at a workout with friends. I love racing and competing and trying to beat people. Like I'm, I'm definitely competitive. Yeah. Um, so I think like, again, like these past couple of weeks have been a little more swimming focused. I haven't gotten my bike out in a while, um, but I do like my dad is a big biker and I'll, I'll go on rides with him when I'm do home. They live? Oh, I was going to um, say they're in Louisiana, right? Yeah. 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 So not, not, not super frequently, um, yeah. but I have some friends here. We'll go up 9W. That's Nyack, my jam, which is like, 9W. Yeah. Um, I'm currently, I'm signed up for Berlin in September. Okay, that's great. Um, and the goal right now is to like race Berlin. So I'm hoping okay. I can like string together a good training cycle this summer, race Berlin. I have a couple smaller races along the way. There's a Boulder Boulder oh, Memorial Day Boulder, weekend. Boulder? Oh, cool. I'm doing Boulder Boulder. And then I do Hood to Coast every year. Um, that's This will be my fifth year. Okay. I think fifth consecutive year doing it. We inherited a team from one of my old coworkers and my like college teammates have kind of taken over it. So it's this like really fun mix of like, my New Orleans running community and my New York running community, it's kind of 50, 50. Um, and that's like, I think last year we won our division. Um, we've gotten like pretty competitive, but it's also just a blast. What is that kind of what I have? What's the, is it like a relay or yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's 198 miles. You start at the top of Mount hood and you run, it's like six people in a van, you kind of leapfrog, um, and you run to the Oregon coast. Oh, cool. I feel like it's kind of like 
the Boston marathon of like the relay races. It's like hard to get in. You got to qualify or the lottery is really hard to get into. I feel like I just saw a bunch of people doing something similar, but it's, so this is the Boston of that. I think the speed project was was recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's another great one. Yeah. Um, That's newer. Hood to Coast has been around for like a really long time. Yeah. Um, Speed project is probably harder. It's, It's longer. It's the, the terrain that you're running through. I think you're running through the desert, um, it's, 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 it's grueling. Uh, head to coast is like lovely. It's like through the mountains and like, yeah, I, those are some things I'd love to do. I live vicariously through my podcast guests and friends <laughs> and athletes that I interview. I just interviewed Heather Jackson and it just came out and she was talking about, she's doing all this gravel and MTB and she was a pro triathlete for obviously, you know, for uh-huh. years. And I'm just like, oh my God, would I want to do that? I'm totally trying to get into gravel. I love it. You know, I love triathlon, but I I also like running, but I like adventure. So as long as there's no like bears, snakes, camping, bugs, you know, I'm good. So right now it's like vicariously, but the endurance stuff, I got that. Yeah, I love the adventure stuff. That's cool. So that's, so that'll be fun. And then, and what triathlon do you think you would do? I, you know, I have not this year. I don't think I'll have myself together enough to do like Placid. I have some friends doing like Placid, which yeah. is, I feel like diving into a full Ironman goes against everything I am <laughs> telling people to do. Um, yeah. so I've, I've done the New York city try. Yeah. Um, that was a ton of fun. I know there's some in the Hudson Valley, some like shorter ones, kind of like Olympic distance. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also in addition to coaching. I mean, you know, that's like the literal stuff of what you do, but you have a business. So you know, it's your business as well, being a physical therapist, being a run coach, like how do you, you know, when we talk about business, how do you draw a parallel between running lessons and business lessons that you kind of mix together when you're trying to grow and build? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like running is is such a good parallel for life, right? Like yeah. running, and one of the things I love the most about the sport of running is like, it's pretty black and white. Like the work you put in is what you get out of it. And you can yep. see it, you know, from a young age, I tried a ton of sports. I was like not coordinated. I worked so hard at like volleyball and soccer and like these kinds of things and just like couldn't see the progress. But with running, it was like, if I work hard, I get faster. And if I work harder than these kids next that I'm competing against, I can beat them. And there's a limit on that. But I think there's also like, whether it's competing against other people or competing against ourselves, you can see like, you know, I used to run a 5k in this time and I started training and I worked harder and I can literally on the clock see the improvements. Right. Yeah. So kind of that, that hard work, that discipline pays off and you get tangible results. And I think it's, that translates very well to every aspect of life. So whether it's my business, you know, if I want to succeed, I need to work hard. And if I work hard and get structure in place and take care of my clients, you know, and, and do the things that I should be doing, like, I'm going to do well, you know, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to, and just not even do well. That's like, I feel like that's not the right term, but like provide high quality care. That's the goal, right. Is to like help people get better, provide good care for people, like be supportive of people. I feel like the emotional support, almost like the therapy side of it is, is a big part of it. It's, it's, just as much mental as it is physical, right? Like I can give you all the tools in the toolbox, but if I don't instill a sense of view of like, I believe I'm going to heal and get better, or I believe I'm going to get faster and perform, then 
you're, you're going to be limited, I think, in the results that you're going to see. That's awesome. Well, this has been super great. Um, I'm, I'm so psyched to officially meet you because I know we met at a Team Wilpers run like really quickly. Thank you so much for your time, Marnie. Thank you so much for having me. This was very, very, very fun. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 